Hey fam, just got home uh, from the communication workshop. I really think it'll bring you a lot of value. Really kind of the whole idea is how to find your voice. And I hope you take notes. I really do think it's super helpful. Also to let you know, I create a resource. The link is down below. If you're somebody who's interested in vlogging, I created a free video training. Just about everything I know to help you get started on vlogging, I think it'll really help you. So link down below. Uh, love you guys. Hope you enjoy this video. What's up, everyone? This is Trey Van Camp, and you are listening to the Ministry Podcast. Uh, Proverbs 14.30, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. We talk about that often, um, but comparison is such an enemy to our joy, and also comparison crucifies creativity. Uh, especially when it comes to communication. So many of us, we try to copy what's working uh, around for other people, but oftentimes it doesn't work for you. Today, we're gonna kind of give uh, different ways to find your voice, different like literal just speaking techniques. Um, I remember I'm still trying a lot of these, but man, when I first started preaching and teaching, I would say, okay, this Sunday, I'm gonna try this technique. So one time I was like, I'm gonna try the power pause. It's a, a phrase that I learned before. If, so you say something profound and then you just let it linger. And that isn't really like, especially with my personality, it was just kind of out of nowhere, you know, like fast, 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 fast. <laughs> people thought you had a stroke. Yeah, they're like, people thought I just simply forgot where I was going, you know? Uh, and, and especially because I thought what I said was profound, it wasn't. Uh, and so there's a lot of elements to that. Uh, but it's good to, to learn that. So for me, I, the only way I could find out, I still think the pause is good and I, I try to incorporate it a little bit more, but not as awkward as I did, did in the beginning. But not all techniques work for everybody, but it's good to try them out and just say, okay, that's not my way. Great communicators know that personal is more powerful than professional. One of the greatest gifts that God has kind of given mankind is we are able to sniff out the fakers. Like we are able to tell if somebody's genuine or not. It doesn't matter your IQ level. Most of us can figure out, no, this guy's lying. Uh, and that's actually a gift. Uh, and people can tell, are you being personal in your conversations? And so with that, even let's say social media posts, be personal, talk about your struggles. That's one of the most important ways to communicate. Um, being professional is so overrated. Here's what it does. Professional creates a commodity that people want to use. Personal creates a community that people don't want to lose. I want you to recognize the alliteration and the rhyming and all of that. We're gonna talk about how we do that. But um, think about it, what is a commodity? A commodity is something that's useful but can be easily sold and thrown away. Professionals, you go to your professionals. So YouTube, for me, there's a few professional people I enjoy and I learn from them, but I don't care if they stop uploading another video. I'll just find somebody else that gives me those tips and tricks. So as Christians especially, we're here to help the world, but let's not be professionals to where it's like, there's no personal connection. With the way to really succeed in life, maybe you have, you're just as smart as the professional, but you present yourself in a more personal manner. You're not afraid of being humiliated. You're not afraid to talk about the struggles that you're going through. Now, how do we do this? Practice makes personal. Notice what I did there. People usually say practice makes perfect. We don't want perfection, but we do want personal. You need to practice it. And a lot of us, we have like this false notion that it's not personal if you practice. 
Like it's not authentic if it's something you're trying to do. One of my favorite things my dad told me to do when I graduated college, I went back home. So I started preaching when I was 16. So I kind of adapted a certain preaching style when I was 16. It was just goofy, like the whole time. Cause I knew I was 16. Like nobody's gonna take me seriously. I wasn't gonna act like I was John Piper. Um, but I realized when I graduated college, I was 22, but I was still kind of acting like the 16 year old goofy kid when I would preach. It was kind of just a natural to go. So my dad said, hey, I'm gonna have you preach for me this Sunday. Zero jokes. I want you to, I, he said, I want you to be so smart that they're confused. <laughs> That's what he said. And I said, really? But he said, trust me, you are smart. You need to show people you're smart, not just funny. Thanks, dad, right? And then, so that Sunday I said, okay. And I was serious the whole time. It was so hard not to just, I wanted to say dumb stuff. But, and you're like, you should do that. Maybe that should be. So I was like, let's keep it smart. And I realized, wow, this is actually more of a strength for mine than humor. But a lot of us were stuck in a rut, right? In our communication, something worked for us a season ago. And so we think that's kind of how I always have to communicate. People grow up. And another thing, I think a lot of us do handicaps of like, oh, but they know I used to speak that way. Get over it. Don't let those few people in your life who think you're one way, this is all of life. Don't let them affect the rest of your life. Change. Growing people change. And so just display that and have the humility to maybe have them make fun of you. For the rest of our time, I want us to look at the three different, well, there's really a lot of different types of communication. So feel free, because this isn't professional, give feedback if in the middle of it you have questions. But I want us to look at, like we talked about just a few, a uh, couple months ago, we, God has created all of us, maybe to even have a little bit of everything, but God has created prophets, priests, and kings. If you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we talked about that. And so there's some of you, God has wired you to speak truth like a prophet. That is your main communication style. That is how God has wired you, and that is something to be okay with. That's actually a great thing. Uh, so with that, some of you who speak truth like prophets, this is your wheelhouse, education and information. This is how you speak to people. This is how you bring value to conversations. This is how you bring value to your audience. You, st you stay with education and information. So I was just at a YouTubers conference in Las Vegas with Sean Cannell. And Sean has, uh, he has two channels and it equals over a million subscribers. Super smart guy. I don't watch Sean Cannell because he's funny. I watch Sean Cannell because he's smart and I take tips from him and I apply it to my life. And Sean knows that. He doesn't try to crack jokes. He doesn't try. He knows this is his wheelhouse, education and information. He knows how to analyze culture. He understands and sees the current trends. And then he tells you, hey, this is what you need to do. For him, this is what you need to do to leverage your online video. But what is that for you? Are you somebody, if you take the strengths finder test, input is like very high. You love having something to, to talk about. Like you love having information that other people don't yet have. Is this your, your, uh, your way of communicating? What's hard, we're kind of in an era right now where we love entertainment. So we think, oh, I'm dull. Nobody will watch me. Everybody watches the goofy guy. I don't have anything to offer. You have so much to offer. Education information, what's cool about this speaking style is people will come back for more. Um, I don't want to play down entertainment because that's a huge thing as well, but don't minimize education and information. Now here's the one I think is gonna be so fun. How to use sticky statements. 
This one's my wheelhouse. I love this one. So I want us to talk about how is there a process to make a sticky statement? Like how do you do something? What I mean by sticky statement is you remember it at least 30 minutes after you heard it, right? Especially if you wrote it down as something that sticks in your head. Uh, there's an orator, his name was Cato, his, his, his nickname was Cato the Younger. He was actually in the Roman Senate from, uh, he, was, he lived 95 BC, I think to 46 BC. And a uh, brilliant guy. He was known obviously for orating and, I wish is speaking guys, but uh, he had this quote that I think is so huge. Find the message first and the words will follow. In other words, to me it means find the main idea first and the words will follow. I stress out Caleb every week. Zhang is just like, just live your life. But for Caleb, because um, I tell him, hey man, it's Thursday and my sermon's not done. I'm getting stressed out. And he's like, quit telling me that. You know, it stresses me out. When I say that, I've done all my research. I know what the text is saying. I can get up and just be like, yeah, and, and kind of get through it. But for me, what, when I say my sermon's not done, I cannot get the message done until I find the main idea until I find like, oh, this is the best way to summarize it in a way that people will remember. For me, that's kind of the hardest process in my presentation preparation is finding these, these kind of like handlebars for you to figure out the rest of the message. So Winston Churchill, assume all of you guys know who that is, he actually, he used a thing, they, he coined it as cream. I don't know why, but it's just an alliteration, not alliteration, acrostic uh, for cream. So the first, how do you make a sticky statement that people remember? The first one you need to know is, here's the cream, is contrast. I know you guys learned this in school, compare and contrast, but it's actually super underrated. It's so helpful. Winston Churchill has one sticky statement that a lot of people remember, and it was this. He said, if the present quarrels with the past, surely the future will have already been lost. He's comparing the past with the present and the future. So he came up with a saying, because it helps people figure out, oh, you're kind of compartmentalizing thoughts for people to understand what it is. So for contrast, here's a couple of smart things to do. You compare and contrast the present with the past. Compare and contrast the beginning with the end. When you speak to people, compare and contrast, especially as Christians, when you're sharing the gospel, compare and contrast truth with lies. I like using the phrase lies too. Here's what the lie, here's the lie of the enemy. And you're connecting with people. But then you say, but here's the promise of our Savior. You can compare and contrast gain with loss, triumph with tragedy, breakdown with breakthrough. Constantly compare and contrast even in one little statements, and it helps people understand what you're saying better. Now the next one is rhyme. I don't like this one at all. Uh, <laughs> my favorite, see if you guys can finish this. An apple a day keeps the doctor away. Why would you remember that? Partially because it rhymes. Who made that up? Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. He has them over and over and over. But one little trick I use, I use rhymezone.com. <laughs> I know the first part of the phrase I want to talk about. Um, I'm trying to think of a random word. 
salvation. <laughs> My secret has been revealed. Let's say I want to do salvation and I can't think of something. I go, let's try it. And I go to rhymezone.com. Oh, okay. And then I see something that pairs and I go, will that fit? If it doesn't fit, then I move on. Now, in a book called uh, Stand Like Churchill, Speak Like, no, Speak Like Churchill, Stand Like Lincoln. Really good book on speaking. Um, he said, uh, the rhyming words, it's called the rhyming nine. Here's the best endings that you can rhyme with because there's so many words available. Um, I don't know if you care about this, but I'm going <laughs> to tell it to you. Aim, so like game and fame, right? Okay. Uh, air, like share and care, okay? I'm going to stop doing that. Uh, ite, you know, like right. Uh, ache, like fake. Ow, like bow. A, that one's like really easy. Hey, I went today and I decided to play. <laughs> okay, okay, is it okay? <laughs> Eight, um, aim and aim, like gain. Uh, I'm done. Okay, but <laughs> if any of you wrote those down, I love you. Uh, but those are endings that are really easy but again this is something i have to teach myself don't overdo these rhymes a lot of times it's like you tried way too hard for that now echo what do you think i mean by echo echo here's a phrase here let's see if you remember this one the only thing to fear is fear itself they use fear twice and that actually drove in the point the bible uses this all the time I always tell people when you're studying your Bible, if you see words pop up multiple times, you know, oh wait, this is really, really important. Let me write this down. Why is he saying this so often? So how can you repeat a word? Uh, the, the greatest way to do it is you repeat a word in the second phrase that you already used in the first phrase. Here's another one you guys probably know. It's not that they plan to fail, but they failed to plan. That's a great because that's multiple uses and that's compare and contrast. That's so many good things right there. And you'll, I, I love that one. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. That's so great. Uh, the next one is alliteration. Alliteration, here's a trick. Consonants are better to alliterate than vowels. Even like how I started out this talk, comparison crucifies creativity. Uh, the way I use this is I use a, I just go to thesaurus.com because I want to make a point and it's a really simple point, but I thought, man, it would be nice if this letter also started with a C. So let me see if that's possible. It really only takes a couple extra minutes, but it really does help out uh, for a lot of people. So alliteration is huge. Last one is metaphor. This one I'm not so gifted at, but some people, I think Zhang thinks in metaphors more often. Like we, our Bible study Thursday night, he used Dwight Schrute as an example. Of showing how, oh, I was always raised this way. See, I remember it, right? So of like, <laughs> some people only believe the Bible because you say that's how I was raised. And he's like, that's kind of like how Dwight Schrute was. Like he's a farm, he grew up on the farm. He's just that guy, you know? And so, nobody yeah, nobody liked him except me. He's my favorite, okay? But metaphors. So how can you uh, use that? Um, Churchill, when he was talking about the Nazis, people who were helping the Nazis, he used this metaphor. He says, an appeaser, so one who's allowing the Nazis just to do what they need to do. An appeaser is one who feeds the crocodile, hoping it will eat him last. <laughs> See how it's a powerful imagery? That's so much better than saying, hey guys, when you help them out, you're just, eventually, they're going to kill you too. Okay, that kind of worked, but if you call them a crocodile <laughs> and you say you're going to eat them last, you, you know why it works? You painted a picture in your mind. 
And when you paint a picture in your mind, you're able to remember it because we're photographic. Like when I mentioned him, I have Dwight Schrute's face still stuck in my head right now, right? That's kind of how, how it works. Now speak grace like a priest. Some of us were not prophetic. We don't really like education and information. We'd rather um, go more towards the relational side of things. We'd rather communicate with people, kind of having more of an open dialogue. You want to be there for people in their pain. You want to be there for people in their hurt. I love teaching more than I love counseling, but some of you love counseling way more than you'd ever love teaching. So how can we speak grace? Here's a couple tricks. Uh, for you, your style is inspiration and motivation, maybe. Do you love to encourage people? On YouTube videos, for example, and their education videos, they don't use any music at all, but for you, you love the videos. You want to make videos that have that slow, sappy, that really beautiful building up of the, the song, and you just you, you feel the tears welling up in you. Like, that is you. You want to inspire people. You want to talk about stories that maybe you're sad, but you're relating to them and you're trying to help people out. So inspiration and motivation is huge. This is so powerful. What's cool about this, education information um, usually involves less emotion. But this, when you grab somebody's emotion, you have them right where you need them. You can tell them anything and they'll remember it. Uh, so that's super helpful, maybe that's for you. So a great way to do that is to use stories. Something I was encouraged to do in my, when I started prepping for sermon stuff, anytime I, I have like a life event, that's like maybe funny or sad or just interesting, I put it in my Evernote to kind of summarize. Like, hey, remember this story? Because the most powerful stories are the ones that you've lived. The story, some stories are cool, like if I talk about Winston Churchill, like, okay. But what's more captivating is if I tell you about the first time I got the, uh, uh, the unicycle and the story about how I felt when I got it that day and all that kind of stuff. People are engaged in that conversation. Uh, people, anytime I feel... Like if I'm, if I'm losing somebody with too many uh, just explanations and stats, then hey, bring in a story and people's attention will immediately be brought back in. Friday night, we watched the movie called The Shallows. Have you guys ever seen the, the movie Shallows? Y'all are shallow. Okay, uh, it's about, it's with Blake Lively. The shark movie. Okay, so we started. I asked Jordan, I said, what do you want to watch? And so we, you know, I was kind of leaning towards, I forgot what I wanted, but it was something manly. And uh, she said, let's watch The Shallows. And I'm not going to lie, I do not like ocean stuff. Like that freaks me out, right? It's a van camp thing. Like, oh. so like even in a lake when I'm wakeboarding and I fall, I'm like, get me, get me, get me. I just know there's a hidden shark, fresh water. That's just, Caleb knows exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> you don't even, you would never watch The Shallows, right? No. no, okay. So we start watching it, and I'm tired. And I know I have racquetball in the morning that Dave wasn't going to come to. And so I had to, uh, yeah, I know you're working. Oh, man. Okay, so uh, I was like, oh, I'm tired. So finally, there's only 30 minutes left in the movie. And I was like, I need to be a man with principles. I'm tired. I need to go to bed. I don't want to. So I start walking up the stair, and then the story got good. Like, she was on a buoy and all this stuff, and I don't want to give it away, but I was thinking, she's going to die. Like, I'm pretty sure. So I was like, Jordan, just let me know if she dies. And then I started taking another step, and I was like, and I just kept watching. Like, I just, I wanted to figure this thing out. And she's like, you know, you can come sit back down on the couch. And I'm like, no, I'm a man with principles, you know. Uh, and I actually was. I left with only like five minutes to go. She told me the ending, which I didn't believe. But 
By the way, you listened to the last 120 seconds better than you did five minutes before because I was telling you a story. Stories are huge. So with this story, I don't care about Blake Lively, but I was like, <laughs> is she gonna die? It was a story that was engaging and even though I was so tired and I wanted to go to sleep and I knew I could watch it later, I wanted to figure out the ending. When you share a story, even if they don't even really like where you're going, they still kind of want to figure out how it's all going to end. Use that to your advantage. How do you share stories? And the best stories are your own life experiences. And as younger people, we think we don't have any. You do. There's a plethora of stories. You just need to have your mind open to them. It's incredible how many you actually have. Here's the next one. Use humor. Some people, humor is your big... Uh, it's a great lifeline to your talk. When you're sharing the gospel with somebody, I strongly believe in the power of humor because people can kind of like start getting nervous because maybe the conversation is getting so serious that you need to just lighten the mood. You know what I love about Marvel movies way better than DC? Marvel, in the middle of fight scenes, so epic, they find a way to still make you laugh, right? They have Spider-Man does something crazy and you're like, ha ha, good. You know, like you're just so happy because it was getting so tense. You're wondering if they're gonna die and then they say something, Chris Pratt does something beautifully and it's hilarious and you're just like, yes, I love this movie. Like, isn't that like your thought, right? You're like, life is so good. And like, that's what humor does. It helps break tension. It, but humor used poorly, it takes the tension away completely. You still want that, but it's that comedic relief is the phrase, right? It's like, oh, in our conversations, how are we providing comedic relief? Especially sharing the gospel. I have seen people share the gospel and I'm like, bro, just smile. Aristotle has this quote, the essence of humor is surprise. That's what makes it funny. It's out of nowhere, like, ah, like I didn't think that was gonna happen. That's what's so great about humor. It's the shock and awe factor. Um, that's why it so works perfectly in Marvel movies, because you didn't expect something funny. You're expecting somebody to die, so it's a good uh, little extra thing. Now, James Hume, he's the author of the book, uh, Speak Like Churchill, Stand Like Lincoln. Such a good book. But he said there's, you need to remember three R's. Notice I'm alliterating. Three R's when it comes to using humor. Number one, make sure it's realistic. People enjoy funny stories if, if it's not too outlandish. You'll lose somebody if you have to spend so much time convincing them it's a real story. <laughs> like, make it real. Another thing is keep it relevant. People love stories and, and funny jokes when it involves famous people. That keeps it relevant. Who's, fun, who's famous today? Make a joke about them, and they will think it's funnier than you just making a joke about somebody they never even heard of. Now, another thing with relevant that I would apply to this, he didn't put it in there, but if you have a main idea that you found, only use humor to support your main idea, not just to get a laugh. You know, like don't just have it way off left field. You're gonna confuse people, they're gonna be lost, okay? So realistic, relevant, and then he really stretched it here. Uh, don't read it. So that's the third R, read, but don't read. The funniest thing I've seen is people read a joke. Spend time to memorize that thing because it is not funny if, if you have to read it out loud. You ever had that where I wanted, I've seen like a funny joke online and I'm like, it's so funny, just trust me. And then you butcher it and you wind up just reading it and they're just so done with the joke by the time you finally read the punchline because you already messed it up before. Remember the punchline, remember the joke. And uh, if you're like getting ready to speak in front of a group of people, <coughs> Remember your outline, but if you're using something like a joke, memorize the thing. Now the last one, speak authority like a king. Some of you, maybe you haven't related to any of these styles yet. 
Hopefully this one is yours. So what does it look like to speak like a king uh, with authority? People listen to you. Here's really big. Maybe your calling in life is to empower people and give them permission to do what they've always wanted to do. This one's huge. Me and uh, Zhang watches this guy every once in a while, but we watch Gary Vee on YouTube. And it's hilarious because over and over he says, I'm giving you permission to do this. I'm giving you permission to tell your parents that. And I'm thinking, why do people need permission? But a lot of times because we live in a culture that has no mentors and we're waiting for people to speak like authority in your life. Maybe God has wired you to speak with authority and help people, empower them, tell them how great they are, uh, show them what, what they need to do and how they need to change. A lot of people who are kingly like this, they're really well structured. They understand a plan. They understand where you're at and where you need to go. And you just give them permission to go do it. I think this one's huge for uh, all of these are, but especially in the social media world, I think a lot of times people just need permission to go try that thing. People need permission to go pursue that calling. And maybe that's how God has wired you. Um, here's the other thing that's important before we move on. If you're giving people permission to do something, make sure you're already doing it. Don't be sitting on the couch and you're saying, you guys need to go do this. This one's not my ballpark, but for some of you it is. Use stats. Statistics establish authority. So there's a guy, Brady Shear. He is a really smart guy and uh, he uses statistics all the time. So he has to convince churches that social media, well, to us it's the present, right? But to them, he's telling them, hey, this is the future. Like if you don't get on social media, if you don't start posting about your life, you're, gonna, you're like irrelevant, right? And so what he has to do, he has to share stats. So all the time he says, did you know, I think they even said it's a crazy stat, like 90, this sounds wrong, but it's, it's high. Like, 95% of Gen Z said they wouldn't be able to live without YouTube. It's something crazy like that. He uses that stat and that makes people wake up. Like, oh my goodness, this is a real thing. So maybe for you, you need to, when you're talking to your friends, whatever you're, whatever you're trying to convince people of, use statistics to back up your claim. By the way, don't make up statistics, <laughs> okay? Here's another one that's really big with authority. I know we touched on it a little bit last week. Use your presence. This is like clothing. This is the way you present yourself, the way you hold yourself. Remember, like for me, I will never teach without wearing jeans or something of the like, something nicer. I won't wear basketball shorts. Why? I'm trying to establish authority. Um, Tiger Woods, what does he wear on, on yes, on when he's about to win a, a championship or whatever you call it, he's wearing red because that's a dominating, that is a like intimidating color saying I'm in control. Uh, George Washington, his style, he dressed like royalty and he was treated like one. So he always walked around, he always made sure everything looked pristine. This is like my dad, right? Like my dad is always way nicer looking than me, like than everybody, uh, except Alan. You, you, you give him a run for your money, but <laughs> with the Paisley and all that. But like we go to the Southern Baptist Convention with all these other pastors and he, has the goofiest but the coolest clothing on, but he establishes a presence. Like people literally go talk to him just because of the kind of coat he has on. Uh, it's really, really funny. So George Washington, he always made sure he dressed for respect. But Benjamin Franklin, during the same era, right? He said this quote, I want to look more like a pioneer than a prince. He didn't dress like royalty. He dressed like the common man but still presented himself as powerful, but he was smart. He says, I am the people's man. Like I am, I am of the people. I'm a pioneer just like the rest of you guys, which is so smart. 
So a great technique is dress like the people you're trying to reach. Um, but I would say dress like them, but still go a little bit higher so you're establishing, hey, you're somebody I need to respect. Now this can go far, right? Especially in the church world, legalistic. I don't wear suit and tie on Sunday mornings, right? I'm very intentional about that. There's a, it's all cultural. I wore this today. Well, actually, a different shirt because me and Caleb matched, and now we don't. But uh, so, so that's really uh, important. Um, so your clothes always make a statement. Lincoln, what do you remember about Abraham Lincoln? What was it about him? Really tall hat. Tall hat. You know why he did a tall hat? Yeah, so he wanted to show, he actually was tall already, I think, but he wanted to accentuate his height, and so he made himself look even taller. So now, again, as gospel-believing people, we can't be fake, so it's a very, you know, it's a hard line to walk on, but we also need to present ourselves to somebody who is walking in victory, right, who is a leader, and so we have to be smart with that. Here's the next one. A lot of people, this is, again, if you're going to use social media, this one's huge. Use numbered lists. On this video, I'm going to give you three keys. Or today's my video this morning. Here's two ways to better network with people when you're at live events. Because people will stay and listen to you because they know, oh, I have something to learn from you. I need to write points one, two, three, four, five, or whatever. That's really key. How are you using numbered lists? Again, if you're blogging, if you're videoing, even if you're just talking, uh, presenting a business thing, here's five things I think our company needs to change. Use the power of questions. You guys ever heard of King Jesus before? He was the best at this. P- questions give a po- sometimes are, are more powerful than just stating the point. Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Instead of saying, hey, if you try to gain everything, you're going to lose it all. No, he doesn't say that. He makes you think it through. When you ask a question, you're not only giving them really a statement, but now they are in their mind playing out everything. And when they play out, because here's what's so cool about a question, they now make it personal for their own life. Now, I want to give you guys a couple warnings, and then we're done. Here's the first warning. Overreaching always leads to under-teaching. Do you see what I did there, though? Compare and contrast over with under, and I rhymed reaching and teaching. I'm just saying. Now, overreaching always leads to under-teaching. I think you can already figure out what I mean by that, but for me personally, I usually use humor as my handicap. If I think I'm losing an audience, I try to come up with the quickest joke I can think of, and I spit it out. This is not good of me, okay? This is usually when I get in trouble. I'm overreaching. You look, I'm desperate, right? I want your attention. I want this to make sense for you. I'm so passionate about this topic and I feel like I haven't done a good enough job to convince you that you need to listen. So I'm gonna uh, say something funny or do something dumb. (laughs) Overreaching always leads to underteaching. It's distracting. It loses people's attention. It looks desperate. Which, by the way, we're a people of faith. We're desperate for God, but we shouldn't be desperate for people. You know what I'm saying? Like in that sense, insecurity is distracting. So instead of overreaching, don't. (laughs) Just stick with the plan. Find a way to not overreach. You can still use humor, but don't try to be so desperate. Begging isn't attractive. If you're doing that, if you're begging, if you're overreaching, it means when you're speaking, you're not speaking to give, you're speaking to receive, and you should just stop talking. If you're speaking 
Because when we speak to people, it's to bring value to their life. And if, it's, if we're only speaking to people, if we're only writing blog posts, if we're only making videos so that we get attention, so that we get validation, that is not, that is not of God. That actually is never satisfying for your own soul. And that isn't helpful for the audience at all. So remember that overreaching always leads to underteaching. Sometimes that means you need to take a break. Sometimes that means, okay, I'm going to stop writing blog posts because I'm really overreaching right now. I'm just doing anything to get people's attention. That's not what God has called you to. God has called you to something so much higher and so much greater. Live to that expectation that God has on you. Big encouragement. You rob your soul when you despise your role. Some of you are so mad because you're not entertaining, right? You're just educational. Don't play that role down at all. Some of you are like, why God did you give me this kind of personality type? We need you in the kingdom. And I love, we keep referencing 1 Corinthians 12, but I love in 1 Corinthians 12, he makes the point that those, those things that you see, they're actually kind of useless. You know, like the, the preacher on stage, yeah, whatever. I know they get all the attention, but we're nothing without the sound guy, right? Like we're nothing about the people loving and, and praying and caring for one another. You rob your soul when you despise your role. Another encouragement with that, we're actually just about to start a new series about King David, his life. I'm really excited about it. But what was King David before he was a king? He was a shepherd. And I know when we read the Bible, we think shepherds like, oh, you know, like God is, he's my shepherd. Like I shall not want. Shepherds were like the lowest of the low. They literally live with sheep. Okay. They, this was not a fun job. It was smelly. It was bad. David pursued being a shepherd with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He literally wrestled bears and lions, right, to protect his sheep. He took that role seriously, and he enjoyed it. And I think because he was a good steward of the role that God placed him in, he lifted them up as king. But he first had to be a shepherd. So for a lot of you, you're thinking, ugh, I'm not, I don't have this notoriety. I don't like, oh, I don't like how I just have this one skill set. I promise you. When you use the gifts, the talents that he's given you, he will start multiplying them. I mean, if you are excited about where God has you now, he's going to take you places you can never even dream or imagine. But the point, I think, why God creates it this way to where he doesn't let us take that next step until we're content with this one is because all of these gifts, they're nothing without the giver, right? All the stuff that we're doing, if we're not enjoying him, it doesn't matter how many gifts and talents you'll get you're still wound up empty because it's about the giver. It's about him enjoying his presence. And when we enjoy his presence, that's how we're able to bless those around us.